0: Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. If I've not met you, I hope we can meet afterwards or talk more if we've only talked briefly. Um, And yeah, I'm taking a turn talking about some intense stuff in Exodus here today. So um, I, I just wanted to start out by thinking about what makes a good friendship or what makes a good relationship Um, And typically, it's one that's built on trust, right? Um, And if that that trust is broken in some way, it really, really damages the relationship. And I just wanted to share a personal story about how that happened to me recently. Um, At Fall Conference, actually, there were some people that I thought were my friends, and they just completely betrayed me. (laughs) Secret Hitler is crazy, guys. Like, dang. Um, No, it's a game. It's a game. It's called, it's a, yeah, it's like a bluffing game. Some people at that table I thought were my friends, and turns out they were on the opposite team. And <clears throat> Sav. Okay. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> when we think about our, our relationships, we want there to be a level of trust. Games are one thing, but in real life, you know, we need there to be um, integrity, right, with our, with our friendships. So that's one thing that we can be thinking about as we come to this text is this idea of, of promises and coming through or being faithful to those um, but before we get into the text, just wanted to give you guys a brief, brief update here. We are talking about God's rescue, right, of the Israelite people um, in Exodus. This whole book has been about God rescuing them um, from their slavery. And if you've been with us the whole time, you're tracking, hopefully, with like, that story that God is, um, he brought them through plagues, through the, the Red Sea, through desert, wilderness wandering. And now we see that what he is rescuing them Last week, Nathan talked about the Ten Commandments and how he was saying, you are now my people and you're no longer slaves. You're free. And so this is what free people do. This is what a free society is like. And he was giving them, um, giving them those those rules that exemplifies the values and righteousness of, of him as a holy and good God. So that's where we're coming from. You may notice that we are quite a few chapters ahead of where we were last, last week. Last week was chapter 20, I believe. So just uh, maybe go back and look at, look at what's in there uh, in your free time. Check out, uh, check out more of the rules that God is sharing with Moses. Talk, see like, what he's telling them is their next big project. Nathan's going to talk about that next week. Um, so there's a lot in between there, but we're going to jump into the end of this 40 days that Moses was on the mountain getting all of these um, commands from God and really having this really intimate time with God and hearing from from him about his heart. Um, So just a little disclaimer, though, um, this is a really tough text. I had a lot of trouble with it, to be honest. Um, It brought up a lot of questions for me and probably will for you, too. So hopefully this will help you with some of those questions, but also, like, let's talk after if if you're like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. I don't get that part. I might not either, but maybe we can talk about it. Um, so what I want to center this talk about around today is just this idea of covenant, which we have brought up before, um, if you've been here, but we're going to dive deeper into it and see what it means. So we're going to see two points, um, covenant breakers and a covenant advocate. So first, who are the covenant breakers in this, in this story? Um, that would be the Israelites, right? The people of God. So in the text, we see Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days, and he's been having this intimate time with God, receiving the law. And the people are very impatient, right? At the beginning of this text, we see that. Also, if you guys want, this might be helpful to grab a Bible from near you um, and, or on your phone um, and look at Exodus 32 if you are interested in following along in that way, just because it's a long text, so it's kind of hard to remember what all is there. So they're impatient. Um, where is this guy Moses, right? Did he die up there? Has he been smited? Um, And they gather together, probably in a pretty threatening way, (laughs) and go to their appointed guardian, who is Aaron, um, who Moses said, all right, the people are going to go to you for anything that they need for help. But they don't really, right? Their, Their demand is make us gods. Which doesn't quite track with the story if you're following along. Um, There was only ever one God who was actually true and actually powerful. And so it seems very strange that they are uh, asking Aaron to make them gods. Um, I don't know if that struck you as like very out of place, but it did for me. And it seems like they've just really lost hope that Moses is ever going to come down. Um, But why is that important? So Moses at this point is like their connection to God, right? Like he is the way that they talk to God. They talk to Moses, Moses talks to God, Moses comes back to them, that kind of thing. And he's gone. <laughs> and so they they decide he's not coming back. They need to create a new, a new connection to God. The one that God gave them is not enough. They're going to create a new connection. Um, and so that's kind of what this creation of, a, of an idol is. Um, they're probably not just making up a whole new God um, because they say we're going to celebrate a festival to the Lord, which is Yahweh, the Lord that was delivering them. Um, So it kind of seems like they're inventing a new way of worshiping God, or they're adding things to the worship of the true God. So why is this a big deal? (laughs) Um, Let's look at some details in the text that show that it truly is a very big deal. Um, First, their actions show that they're breaking the covenant with Yahweh, with the Lord, that they've just agreed to follow. Like, they've just signed up for this, like, maybe a month ago. Um, so let's, let's look, dig into, like, what is a covenant so we can understand why breaking it is such a big deal. Um, so I was talking about promises at the beginning. A covenant is a promise, um, but it's more than just, like, a pinky promise um, or, like, a, yeah, I got you kind of thing. Um, one way to think about it is a contract or a treaty. So this is something that people at that time would have been really familiar with. A greater nation says, hey, lesser nation who's tiny and cannot protect yourself, let me protect you. And in return, you're going to obey me, basically, or swear fealty. Um, And so in that sense, the covenant that God made, right, he's the greater party and the people are the lesser party. He made with them. It's like a contract. It's it's legally binding in a sense. Like they are sealed with blood in chapter twenty four. So you can think of it like a contract or a treaty. But then there's also this deeply personal and relational aspect to it. So um, the Bible talks about covenant also in the sense of like marriage, which Nathan brought up last week. Um, And that like marriage and adultery kind of those pictures help us understand like. The, the gravity of the sin in a very personal way. Like, it's not like they just broke a contract. It's like they cheated on God, right? It is a complete betrayal. Um, because the thing that makes, you know, the covenant of marriage so beautiful is that it is exclusive, right? No one else. And they've said no one else, eh, maybe, maybe not, maybe someone else as well. They've let someone into the covenant in a way that's um, breaking it. So we've got this contract and this love aspect of it Um, and so the people had made this agreement with God this vow to God basically saying yes you're going to be my God our God we will be your people we will walk in your ways we will follow these good rules that you have given us and one of those rules was uh, that they were to worship no other gods right that was the first one and that they were not to make a carved image of God because he's perfect and invisible um, nothing can possibly match up to who he really is. Um, it's like a cheap replica. Right? It's like just ridiculous to try and make a carved image of God. So in creating this golden calf, they're trying to make something tangible for someone intangible, trying to make something visible that God is, is, is just so much more than that. And then if you notice, they um, attributed their salvation from Egypt to this image. <laughs> like, aha, this is what brought you out of Egypt. It's like they had amnesia or something. Like, was this calf there with them? No. <laughs> um, and they're in that sense, like they're kind of redefining the past. They're kind of taking taking what God has done and saying this has come from somewhere else. And then another thing in the text we can tell is this sin of idolatry leads to other sins. It's not isolated. It's not like their relationship with God does not affect the rest of the, the group. Um, Or their lives. In the text, it's not really explicit, but in my reading about kind of the the original language and what it means is there's probably, like, the ceremony and festival that they had was probably very similar to, like, pagan festivals at the time that would have, like, just a lot of, like, sexual immorality, a lot of drunkenness, a lot of just, like, yeah, just other sins that, like, God had explicitly forbidden that this idolatry then led them to say, well, if God you know, maybe God doesn't actually know what's best for us. And then, of course, one more way that we can tell just how big of a deal this was, was God's reaction and the, the consequences that come from it. Right? And that's where I feel like very heavy when I read this text is like, whew, this is intense. Um, they're, the, the idol gets ground down. They drink the water with the idol like in it, which is kind of strange, but also it it's kind of poetic at the same time. Like, okay, you guys think that like this God is better than, than, than Yahweh, then, you know, here he is in dust. <laughs> like, um, it maybe symbolizes like that sin is actually inside of you. Um, and then, uh, I guess before that, even Moses comes down, right? And he has these two tablets that have God's words on them that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the Ten Commandments following that, that God had made for the people. And when he comes down, he's just so upset at the blatant idolatry that he just like throws them on the ground. And it's not just like, I'm mad, I'm going to toss this, or I'm shocked. It's like, this is what your actions have done. They've, it's broken this relationship that you have with God. And here's a symbol of that. Um, and then we have this, at the end of the text, there's a plague. And right in the middle, there's that big one, killing of 3,000 men. Um, that seems to be like their brothers, their people and their family who are, who are doing this. Um, I don't think that I can really fully explain that or fully even understand what that consequence or that punishment means um, or why it happened. But you know, it it shocks us, it could even offend us. But one thing to keep in mind, um, just like the nation of Israel at that time, was um, a theocracy, so God was their king, right? Their religious leaders were their government leaders. Um, And this this act is like, it's a way of disciplining the entire nation to keep them in relationship with God. Um, Their sin was not only spiritual, it was also like a civil break in society. but, uh, you know, at that time, that was an appropriate way to execute as, as God's justice. That is not how God deals with sin today. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to wrestle with these things, especially um, in a very different time period in history. But what we definitely know is that this whole situation shows us how big a deal sin is to God. Right? That's what we can come back to and be definite on. Um, it speaks to just how important this relationship was. Um, they had made their vows, they had sworn fealty, and then they just turned right around and decided, eh, that those things don't matter. It's, it's, it's a huge betrayal. Thankfully, the scripture shows us that God does not delight in punishing. This is not his like happy place to <laughs> punish sin. Um, he disciplines us that we might turn to him in repentance. Um, and overall in this text and in the rest of the Bible, we see that this is actually just a big story of God's mercy. right? We see it in the text. He doesn't completely destroy that. That's mercy. We also see it in the rest of scripture um, that if we are to reckon with what his grace really means, we have to reckon with the destruction that comes from sin. So the Israelites are covenant breakers. Hopefully you better understand that idea. But we also are covenant breakers, right? Like, we can't just look at them and be like, oh, look at how bad they are. Um, We have to kind of internalize this as well. Um, All believers are in a binding covenant with God. We have that relationship, that special relationship with him. But we also, like, want a God that we can see versus the God that we have. We want to make him something else. Um, We want a God that we can control, (laughs) or that we um, we want his benefits now, we want his benefits whenever we want. And so I was thinking about like what could this type of thing look like, this worshiping or this adding on to worship of God in our own lives. And I think one thing it, it looks like at BU especially is um, kind of just like orienting your whole life or chasing these things that the campus or the world says are your should be your goals and what it looks like to succeed in the world um, instead of, allowing the lord to call us to something um and maybe taking a step into an uncomfortable place because he's asked us to um maybe just you know like what does success look like um you have to be everything you have to be perfect i feel like is the message here um and yeah god god calls us to to live a different way and to not orient our lives completely around um any one thing other than him But it can also show up uh, as looking back at our lives, looking back at our maybe accomplishments or the ways that we just were taken out of certain situations and attributing that to our own efforts instead of to God, right? Like, I was the one who went to church, though. And I I read my Bible, and I reached out to these people, and I worked really hard. And those may all be true. um, But I think sometimes our idolatry looks like Ungratefulness, honestly, and just not attributing those things that God has actually been doing through our efforts to Him. Kind of like the Israelites were attributing it to God's work to something else. Another way is maybe ignoring the call of God to worship and follow Him in the way that He has revealed. It's so easy to be like, yeah, but I'm the exception. Like, this is what kind of God is calling everyone to, but like, it's okay if I don't do that because. Um, I think that you know, we often say, okay God, I know, I know what it looks like to be your son or your daughter but I don't really want to do that right now, right?
1: Maybe for you
0: it's um, not, con- not you know confessing sin, not confessing sin to God or to others that you, you know you should, or isolating yourself from other believers when God calls us to be in fellowship um, or there's some call God to, to holiness in your life that you're kind of avoiding um or one one that uh, really hits home for me is dwelling a lot on what you don't have and cultivating this attitude of discontentment that just really is just yeah very very um putting things that aren't god in my in my heart um is what's most important anyway there's a lot of ways that this happens and i'm right there with you if any of that hit home for you i wrote it down because it hits home for me too um, so as as we're we're you know if we believe that we're made new in Christ, we also know, feel every day the presence of sin, the capacity for sin is is there. Um, and so if you're sitting here thinking like, geez, you know nobody knows that I I'm a sinner in this way or um, everyone knows or whatever, you are not alone. in this. Like we, no Christian is perfect. No Christian is sitting there like yep, checked all the boxes, like I've never idolized anything before. Um, We all need God to come alongside us and to come alongside each other. So, the Israelites are covenant breakers. We are covenant breakers. The good news is that God is faithful when we are faithless, right? We see that in the text. We see God's mercy, and we also see it later. If you guys keep reading chapter 24 especially, God is renewing the covenant. He's extending the invitation for them to try again, right? They were adulterous. He says, I'm going to forgive that, and we're going to keep moving on in this close relationship, um, but how did that come about? They needed a covenant advocate, so second point. Um, first, Moses is a covenant advocate, um, have you guys ever, ever needed an advocate or, like, a mediator, like, in any situation? I was thinking about, like, an easy one is, like, when you're a kid, you go to the doctor. You obviously aren't going to be, like, talking to the doctor, like, about your medical concerns. Like, you need your parent there to be, like, actually, you know, this is what's going on. Like, we need to get, get the right care for this kid. Um, maybe it's something more recent um, where someone who, someone, like, kind of represented you in a situation. Um, my sister... When she A few years ago, she worked as a peer support uh, specialist, and she, she was kind of coming alongside people who had a lot of mental health problems, and a lot of them were also extremely in, in poverty because it was really hard for them to work. And so she noticed that, like, and she became really upset knowing that like, so many systems in where they lived were just gonna take advantage of them. Um, and so she would like, go toe-to-toe with doctors and be like, no, like, they have rights, like, they are people too. Um, And she would really try to make sure that they got, like, the care that they needed at, like, a good price and things like that, which has always been, like, yeah, just admirable, I think, to be that kind of person. So maybe you've been on the receiving end. Maybe you've done that for someone. Um, Think about, like, what did that feel like? Um, What did you hope for? I think whenever we are advocating for someone else, um, we need to know that the person who we're talking to is going to receive that well, right? Like, that that helps. (laughs) Like, it it makes a difference. You're going to approach it differently whether, like, the person you're talking to is kind, is just, is equitable, or whether that person is, like, you know from their reputation, like, they are only seeing the bottom line. Like, they're just looking out for themselves. So we need to think about the character of the person that we're going to, because ultimately they're the only one who can change anything. And so here we see that Moses is acting as the people's advocate before God and that he's doing it on the basis of God's character, on the basis of who he is and who God has called him to be as the people's advocate, as their representative. So back in the text, we see Moses' reaction, right? We saw him when he came down from the mountain, he like broke the things. But what's really important is God's reaction, right? Because Moses is a, it's just a dude. Um, But God's the one who has really been sinned against. So if you look at uh, 7 verses 7 through 10 and 33 through 34, it's kind of where we see God's reaction. He says, the people have corrupted themselves, have turned aside quickly from the way he taught them to live. It's like, that's, yeah, it's pretty accurate. He, he knows that they, at their heart, they are obstinate, they are stubborn, they are stiff-necked, is the phrase. Um, and that is leading him to righteous anger. When God gets angry, it's never wrong. (laughs) It's always right. Um, It's kind of hard for us to imagine that, but it's true. This anger stems from love. He wouldn't be so angry if this relationship wasn't worth protecting, right? And so God's taking this sin seriously, knowing that it has really destructive outcomes. And Moses steps up. He, (laughs) He is willing to be the people's representative to advocate for them, in verses 11 through 14, he goes to God and, and pleads with him on the basis of who God is. He doesn't say like, no, 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 you're wrong. They didn't actually sin or like, they're not really that bad. Um, instead he's, he says like, God, you are the one who saved them. It's your glory at stake. Right. And he talks about God's promise keeping nature. Um, even this is only a second book in the Bible. And we already know one thing, one thing we already know about God is that he keeps His promises, right? Um, the only reason that he brought them out of Egypt, uh, for like for his glory and for his love for them. But he, he told Abraham like hundreds of years ago that he was going to do that. If you've never read that, and I think it's Genesis 15, it's crazy. He's like, your descendants will be, uh, will be in Egypt. They'll be slaves and then they'll come out and they'll have this land. And it's like, Whoa, that's crazy that, um, that was something that he told generations before. Um, and so Moses doesn't advocate based on what, on the people, right? Because if he said, like, no, 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 they're really not that bad, like, that would just be a lie. Um, he, they didn't deserve mercy. And yet he, he thinks, who is God? Who is Yahweh? Isn't he the one who created? Isn't he the one who redeemed? Isn't he the merciful one? Um, He goes above and beyond to save. So Moses knew who God was, and that's how he could come so boldly to him. And it just makes me think, like, do we know who God is, like who he's revealed himself to be? Do we come to him with that? Um, Is that something that we're wanting to learn more about? Um, Or do we come just kind of on the basis of our our own goodness? So he talks about God's character, and then he also comes based on the idea of sacrifice. Um, Later on in chapter 32, he goes again to God because there's this this whole punishment situation. But Moses knows, like, God is really, really holy and perfect. And, like, nothing that has happened really makes up for the sin. Right? And so he's going to go and atone. You guys know what atone means? I looked it up because I was like, I've heard this word before, but how do I describe it? Um, To atone means to make reparations for wrong or to right sin, right? To make it right again. And so he knows there's got to be reparations for this spiritual adultery. So I think it's really important what he says in verse 32. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So blot me out of your book could mean kill me. Book of life, you know, I'm no longer alive. Or it could mean an eternal offering of like, I'm no longer gonna be saved from um from condemnation. He's offering himself and his life for the lives of the people. And this is giving us a hint that this whole sacrifice, sacrificial system of like animals that shows up in Exodus is actually just um foreshadowing of something else, that we we needed a greater sacrifice. Um, this scene reminds me of The Hunger Games. Is anyone? No, okay. Nathan told me he didn't know what The Hunger Games was, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain a little bit more. Um, sorry to add you. <laughs> but right, the, very, the very first one, Katniss is, is stepping forward to volunteer in the space of her, her s- little sister who got chosen to go basically to her own death. And Katniss is like terrified. She would never want to give up her freedom except to save her sister. She's willing to take that fate herself. And, and this is kind of what Moses is saying, right? He's saying, I volunteer as tribute, um, but in a very like serious way, like, take me instead of them. Um, but God's response is, he doesn't say yes. He doesn't do it, right? He says he's gonna punish whoever is guilty. And in this instance, Moses is not guilty because Moses ultimately is not that unblemished sacrifice that was needed. He was sinful. He was only a man. He couldn't bear the wrath of God. Um, he wouldn't have been able to make proper reparations for the people on his own. And this is where we get to jump. This is where Moses points us to someone greater, points us to Jesus. Um, so the Israelites still needed ultimate and final atonement, right? Um, and when we are left to, our own, to ourselves, we, we too need that. Um, Moses went to God, he pleaded for the people, um, and he was showing us a picture of something that would happen in the first century AD, um, in that same promised land that the people were, were headed towards. This is the part that gets me really fired up. So just get ready. Um, we see here in Exodus that God in his mercy and grace wouldn't accept Moses as a substitute for the people because Moses wouldn't be enough, right? Um, we needed someone, they needed someone who was fully human, who could bear, who could participate in their guilt, um, but also who would be completely perfect um, in order to be that substitute. And you guessed it, God provided that, right? In 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 God the Son, who's the, the offended one, God the judge comes down, um, came down to earth as a man in order that he might advocate for us who were his enemies. And I love Hebrews 2. Um, it tells us that Jesus had to be like us in every respect. He had to be tempted as we were. So that his perfection could be a proper sacrifice for all the sins, he is 100% man and 100% God. The math doesn't make sense, but it's true, right? And that is our only hope that he he can participate in our nature as humans, and that he doesn't do that with any sin. Um, so, in case you haven't heard it this week, here's the gospel. Here's the bad news first. You and I have weak hearts. Um, We say one thing to God and we do another, right? We break promises all the time. We jump at the first chance to reject God's friendship and God's way for us. We say Jesus and XYZ, right? Um, We spend so much time just desiring and chasing after success in the things of this world that we build our own kingdoms at the expense of our souls. But ultimately, we too are these spiritual adulterers, right? That's what—that's what our sin is. It's breaking that relationship with God, and we can't make things right. <laughs> like we can't—we—we are—we are blocking ourselves from being able to make things right. Um, God takes sin seriously today, too—not just in the Old Testament. The wages of sin is still death, just as we see in Romans eight, um, and yet that price, that that wage, right. Had to be paid somehow. Um, So the good news is this: when Jesus said, "Take me instead," God did. The Father said, "Your sacrifice is enough," and He took Jesus instead of us Um, as our substitute. Jesus refuses to get down off the cross. People were jeering at him, saying, "He saves others; he can't save himself." Mocking god of like who created who literally created them Mm -hmm. and yeah he couldn't save others and himself he chose to stay there for us um and he even forgave he was taking up the cause of the people who were literally mocking him asking god to forgive them he was advocating for them in that moment and for us so jesus is the perfect covenant keeper (laughs) And he keeps us to the end, even when we go through these seasons of rebellion or sin or darkness, um, even when we know the salvation of Christ and we believe that that's true, um, we're still going to try to run away. We're still going to have these, like these times of just resisting God's lordship and sinning. Um, but as we see, Moses was really persistent in his advocacy, right? He was interceding. He was going between the people and God. And Jesus is that for us, right? Um, aside from his, his death on the cross being our substitute for God's wrath, he is actually continually interceding for us. So let me read Romans 7.25, or sorry, Hebrews 7.25 um, to you. It's been really encouraging to me. This week it says, he, or Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's so like he is right now in his resurrected body at the father's side, standing in the gap for us when we fail, when we are weak, when we just go back to the same sin again and again. And when he says you are his, he's not letting you go, right? Like he's not going to let you walk out on that, because he can keep the covenant perfectly even though we can't. So, Jesus is the way to being cleared of a guilty conscience. <laughs> Jesus is the person who will stare down your accuser, Satan, who is bringing up all of your guilt and sin, right? Those are a lot of our, our, our shame cycles. <laughs> I think they come from him. And he's, he's going to stare him down and say, like, you don't get the last word. She's mine. He's mine. They're covered. I already died for that. Um. That person is a new creation. So here's a little application point for you. Um, Ask God, what are my idols? What are the things that are pulling me away from you? Because we can't appreciate the new life that God is calling us into unless we first deal with the stuff that is holding us back, right? Um, Bring that out into the open. One way to think about what you might be idolizing is like, what are you spending all of your time thinking about? What are, where does your mind go when you're not supposed to be doing anything else? Maybe it's right before you go to sleep. Maybe it's when you wake up. Maybe it's walking to and from class. What does that show you about what you value and where your heart, what your heart is oriented towards? Um, and if you guys want to talk through any of that with me, I'd love to do that. Um, it's a big question. So we need to ask God to show us that our sin and help us understand what it really means. Um, But ultimately, we need to ask him to show us the beauty of his, like love for us and his forgiveness, right? So that we're not stuck, but we're actually brought out into the freedom that he's bringing us into. Um, His, yeah, his cross is completely sufficient for you. Um. So to sum up, through Jesus, we see the fullest extent of God's grace, though we have also broken the covenant. God upholds both sides of it. Um, he really is, as it says in Exodus 34, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and a pounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, so let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being faithful, for upholding a promise that we can't keep perfectly. Would you show us just a little bit more of your heart for us in our sin, in our suffering, um, in our confusion? Would you be near to us in those things? Um, Jesus, thank you so much for being the one who intercedes for us, who calls us yours, even when we are doing really ugly things or believing things that aren't true or running away from you. I pray that you would continue advocating for us, um, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen.